All right, all right, all right. Episode three, People of the Crossover. I am Dan Clark. And I'm your co-host, Sean Keating. Glad to be with you again. Um, if you haven't been keeping up with our progress, um, things are up and running. We're rolling. Um, we've got an Instagram account. We've got an email address. Um, the Instagram account, the crossover.podcast. That'll give you access to whenever we drop a new episode. Still not on Apple Podcasts yet, but we'll get there, people. Um, today, our topic of discussion, we're going to focus on some of the aspects of coaching, how it's changed throughout the years, uh, and how that is applicable, believe it or not, to most classrooms and uh, and teachers' strategies. Yeah, I think um, one of the things we've been talking about and I think is pretty relevant to today's society is just how coaching has changed, and I think we can kind of piggyback that into a little bit how education and teaching has changed as well, but um, I know one of the things that comes up in coaching very often is that's not how it was done in my day. And um, I think a lot of us um, in the coaching profession, you know, we're coached a certain way. And <clears throat> those are memories that we have um, that are pretty fresh. And a lot of times as coaches, we, we talk about how we coach the way we were coached. And I mean, that's all you know, really, right? Totally. And it's hard. It's just hard to break that cycle. Like I'm... Th- Yesterday you talked about being scarred. Like there's some, I'm pretty sure there's a lot of things coaches did that, you know, scarred future coaches and they relied on those scars to run their team that way. You know, I mean, I can remember a coach even in 2005, I think it was, um, it was right, it was right after the movie miracle had come out, believe it or not. Uh, and there was a scene in the movie where again, Again, that's the scene. Again. On the line. Who do you play for? Okay. Yep. That coach, my coach must have just got out of the theater and was like, <laughs> I am doing that exact thing tomorrow in practice. This is going to be great. And he ran, just ran us until we basically puked. One guy almost, like there was an overweight guy on our team. He almost like died, I'm pretty sure. Yep. Um, but that was as recent as the mid-2000s. So like, I feel like now, 2020, those cycles are finally being broken. I mean, would you agree? When's the last time you, when is the last time you yourself taught or coached like that? Did you ever coach like that? And was there a moment where you said, what the hell am I doing? No doubt. I mean, I think there's, there's moments that I've definitely had in my coaching career that I'm not, not proud of, but um, I think there's been a revolution in, in coaching really over, I'd say about the last 10 years. Um, probably about 2008 or so, I feel like it started with a, a guy by the name of Joel Ehrman, who's a former NFL player and um, wrote a book just about, um, it's called Inside Out Coaching. And really what that was, was about, um, do you want to be a transformational coach or a transactional coach? And what you're talking about is coaches are trying to get results. They're trying to win games. They're trying to get you to do certain things. And it's a transaction, so the, the kid wants playing time, wants awards, wants recognition. You want winning as a coach, so here's how we're going to do it. We're going to be a dictator. You're going to get on the line. If you don't do it right, then we're going to do it again. 
and again and again. And that type of coaching is is part of what I think uh, a fabric of really Americana in general and something that everyone can relate to as a parent to some degree. That has switched pretty um, you know, pretty strong since Joel Ehrman's book. And even when I go to, for example, my re-accreditation coaching clinics, uh, the things that I have to do online to recertify as a coach, um, there's many different platforms now, in, um, Positive Coaching Alliance and um, different things that are promoting being a transformational coach. And just understanding the general theme, right, that this is way more than about winning. It's about character development and about growing these young people uh, and getting them ready for society in general. And so there's definitely many things that I've learned over my time coaching. I think the reason I got into it was to be that transformational coach. And there's some things, in fact, this year that I've learned a lot. I, I hired a mentor, which is a unique thing that um, I for got yourself for myself, um, which was a unique thing in, in itself where I went to a retreat last summer in, in Park City, Utah, with 12 coaches from around the country. It was it was led by a guy by the name of J.P. Nurban, who has started a basically a transformational coaching mentorship service. And um, I'll talk a little bit about that today, but it's really inspired me to grow and develop as a coach. And uh, a lot of the things I did this season, for example, were, were things I'd never done before to focus on the, the development of the mind, body, and spirit. So so as a coach, is there still a part of you that really desires a win every game? Or is it, I mean, I've, I've, I've seen you coach before. And I mean, it's not like you don't get worked up in a game or it's not like you're not excited about the game. But does that, so once you focus on just the, the process and the journey of, you know, self-improvement or whatever, whatever you want to call it, that doesn't, does that fade away? How did like, how does that, because I mean, I, from a mock trial perspective, it's a little bit different. There's no con, it's not a contact sport, but it's still a competition. And I mean, I am all about those things, but when the competition finally is occurring and I'm sitting in that courtroom, like it's pretty hard to not get, you know, excited and, you know, limbic system flared up in that process. No doubt. And that's where I think people get a little confused when you start talking about transformational coaching is they think, oh, that's just kind of fluffy, woo woo, woo woo. And, you know, it sounds good, but at the end of the day, we got to win. And you're not going to find anyone more competitive than myself. I mean, when, when the, you know, when we get inside the lines and it's game time, it's, we're, we're trying to win the game. And we, that's our goal is to win as many games as possible. However, our, what we talk about is that's our goal versus our purpose. And our purpose is to develop, I have it written down here, what my purpose is, develop the whole athlete, mind, body, and spirit, and to instill in them tools that will last well beyond basketball and carry over to the game of life. And that's the purpose of what we're trying to do. And if, if your goal to win games, you're sacrificing your purpose, that's what that transactional strategies have been. You know, demeaning a player, um, calling them out in front of the entire team, making them run, making them do those types of things. Those are those are transactional dictatorship type of old school coaching methods that undoubtedly do have some, you know, some results. Well, I mean, they've used it for God knows how many years. Like there were, I'm sure before that, 
before Joel's book, there have been countless other books written from a transactional approach where, you know, some of those classic coaches that you think of um, probably weren't always the transformational type. You know, I'm trying to think like Bobby, Bobby Knight, right? That guy was the king of transactional berate your players, yes. you know, you know, make them feel lesser Instill than some fear in them. Right. And that was like, he was looked at as this great, I mean, right. He was looked at as a, as a, like a role yeah, model, Hall of fame coach, 900 some wins. Um, so there's no doubt. And, and, you know, we're not going to solve this and, and I'm not going to present the case as well as I probably wish I could. But the one thing I, I would just give an example to with the parenting aspect, you know, we talk about, you know, spanking our children and you know the the research says it's it's not effective yet we continue to do it and i know that in my time as a parent when i've disciplined my children whether it's timeouts or whatever it might be does that fix the issue you know we all know that that's not going to just solve it all right there and we we know as coaches when we put them on the line that doesn't just solve everything a lot of times it's anger that we have that we want to get out and it makes us feel better. But at the end of the day, it's not solving the problem. And I think we talked a little bit about this yesterday about when, your little story with your son about you were getting frustrated in the garage because he broke something and you realize I just need to pause. And I think trans transformational coaching is really um, allowing kids make to make mistakes. And then how are you responding to that as a coach and as a parent what's so, your response to that so like an example when some so like you're coaching a game somebody blows that like they miss their pickup or they they miss a switch on a pick how do you approach that with a with an athlete or do you even i mean though, though, yeah there's many different ways i think the bottom line is you said all that beforehand Okay, guys, what's our response going to be when mistakes happen? And that's a big thing we talk about is our mistake response. Uh, obviously, during a game, we talk about we don't have time to call somebody out right. to coach it up right then. You know, the game is the time for you guys to go play as hard as you possibly can, play together, be in the moment. Practice is the time we'll talk about, okay, how are we going to handle this? If, if Johnny is supposed to switch and doesn't, what are we going to do during practice? You know? Is it going to be, does it have to be me as a coach? Do I have to get on him? Or can we get to a point where we all understand what we're trying to do? And if Johnny doesn't do it, someone else, you can still call somebody, um, hey, you missed that switch there. But it's got to be in a, in a way that isn't demeaning to the player. And, and so that whole mistake response is something we talk a lot about. We talk about the player, how do you need, what do you respond well to? Some players will say, I need you to get on me a little bit more. And, and I'm guessing just dealing, I mean, dealing with the, the teenage mind, and I'm thinking back to, you know, my experience in whatever sport I was in. Teammates, it's probably hard to get teammates to approach it that way. Or is it? I mean, I don't. I guess I don't know. But because I know in those moments, they also have a, you know, a limbic system flare up or they don't have that ability to, to pause and be like, okay, why am I just coming at this my, my teammate's life right now because he missed this switch on this pick? Like, how hard is it to, to develop that in those young athletes? I think it's inevitable that teammates are going to, you know, 
demean each other in times where like you blew that coverage, man. Like what the hell? Mm-hmm. You just lost the game for us. It's like it's hard for I think a teenage teenager, even you know someone in the heat of a of a game, to get them to realize like, hey man, I know we just lost and we're not going to the state championship now, but it's okay. Like, yeah, <laughs> I get I get I get why that's meaningful and why that's probably the right way to do it. But how hard is that to get somebody else to do it? That is, you know, a little more undeveloped, a little more inexperienced with just life experiences in general. Yeah, there's no doubt it's a challenge, but it's something that we we work on all the time. And we're, you know, with our the way we set up our, our program, you know, we're doing a lot of conversations about how to handle those things. And if a player is not responding, and everyone's going to make mistakes. Like, we're no matter how hard we try, there's going to be times where, yeah, the game is on the line and I'm really devastated or whatever. And those things are going to happen. But overall, I think if you were to watch our team play, um, you know, it's amazing how well they respond to things because we've really worked at it over time. And I think one of the things we do with our players is we put them into units. So, for example, groups of three or four, and it's usually a couple um, underclassmen with a couple of the upperclassmen. And we talk about these things. Like, hey, we notice when, like, a bad call happens or a turnover happens, this is how you respond and why. And we're able to work those things out. And I think one of the things that really helps is the mentorship piece that we have the seniors, for example, see a sophomore that's going through and they have bad body language. That's one of the hallmarks of our program is trying to pride ourselves on how you respond to things. And so they're able to say, Hey man, I've been in that situation and like, I get it. I, and and talk it out and you have to think about it before it happens. Because if you don't plan your response, you're going to just default to, your your natural situations and that's why we make practices harder than they have you know harder than the game is our goal you know a lot of times in practice i won't call falls when it's a clear fall just to see how they're going to respond to it and if they don't respond the right way then we'll sub you out and put somebody else in and so you have to find ways to hold kids accountable um, but it's got to be something they want to do and it's got to be it's got to come you know intrinsic motivation whereas this old style of coaching has always been extrinsic okay you're going to get a reward or you're going to get a penalty based on how you do things. And that is something that is very short-term, whereas if you can work on them growing intrinsically, you can build something long-term. So I think one of the things we could kind of tie this into is, um, you know, uh, overall right now we're going through something in education where we're going to distance learning. And rather than... Um, you know, be in school for eight hours. There's this kind of interesting um, dynamic now where um, teachers are trying to figure out, do I just keep jamming the same material that I normally would or do I uh, change things? And I think overall, one of the things we're talking about is we're at school currently with no students and have been for going on two weeks now. Um, It's been an interesting time to reflect and think about how we're doing things. And I think in the coaching profession, the reason that big change happened is because at some point when people see a coach yelling and screaming, um, it does come off in our culture today as unacceptable behavior um, and scarring young people. And just that way of coaching is really not a big 
topic and you know it's not it's not looked upon favorably and we've had to grow and change and it's you know in my opinion it's just not the right way to do things it's not how you treat people with respect and now as we go to this distance learning platform I know it's kind of getting a little off topic here but what do you think we're gonna learn and some of the things that have come up as as we think about how you're gonna run your classes in this distance learning life I think you're gonna see I mean, there's probably two mindsets on this and that the first, just kind of like a transactional versus transformative coaching experience. That's exactly what's going to happen when this, sh- this shift to online goes. It's going to be some educators will do a transactional approach, which is the shoving of your normal curriculum just in a digital format, you know. Um, and the other approach is going to be that transformational approach. And that that would probably include you know, a re-examining of what you're actually covering, you know, really taking the time to think about what's in, what really can I have them get out of this? Uh, I'm like, I'm thinking of my situation. I have to teach economics to kids. You ever learned, you ever had taken economics class, Sean? I have. Did you enjoy it? Not really. Did you understand it completely at the time? Buy low, sell high, something (laughs) like that. It's well, the point is, is it's not, a very what uh it's not an easy topic to understand so like adding this barrier of like online learning to economics is a huge firewall because i think when i'm one-on-one with a kid i can sit down with them i can focus my attention on the kid that doesn't is missing the point on you know a change in quantity demanded or a change in demand uh which is a concept that I say this right now, and someone's like, "What the hell does that mean?" I don't even know. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, so the I so I'm I'm taking my time to really think about how that I can apply economics to people's personal lives. So like, there's the idea in economics of uh, it's called the production's possibilities curve, and like most of these graphs in economics aren't going to apply to anybody unless you're an entrepreneur. Like if you're thinking about going into business to make something that's when you're going to access these graphs. And this production possibilities curve, I think can be applied to people's lives because it, it gives you two things, right? Two, in economics, it gives you two products. But in, in, in my case, I can transform that into, you know, things you do, uh, or two things you do on a daily basis. Maybe one thing is a little unhealthy and one thing is more healthy. And the idea would be, if you spend more time doing, it's a pretty simple, basic idea, mm-hmm. but I don't think people think apply it to their life. And it's, if you spend more time doing this one thing, that means you are only able to, you're, sp- you're, you're spending less time doing this other thing. So the transformational piece will be turning that, you know, entrepreneur, entrepreneur, how do you say that? That's a big word. Entrep- Entrepreneurship. Uh, I'm thinking of entrepreneurial. Oh, well. Yeah. Uh, graph into a applicable thought exercise like for you to think of two things that you do maybe that are conflicting with each other for like maybe it's netflix time versus time you spent journaling or time like which is probably for most people you know zero for the journaling Mm -hmm. and a hundred on the scale for netflix (laughs) especially right now right so it's like okay you know if you spend 10 minutes less of that one thing you can add that to this other aspect of your life. So I think it's a ch- it's really a challenge to try and take your topic 
or whatever content area you're teaching and try to make it as as much or as life applicable as you can. I know you, we try to do that every day in the classroom, but now I think you really have to make a conscious effort to try to do that like exclusively because some of these concepts that we're going to try to teach online, I mean, kids aren't going to, they're not going to soak that up. Yeah, I mean, they're hard. They're. I mean, think about your own experience in general like with, with topics. I've talked about this before. You know, any content area, even your own favorite content area, think back to high school. Think back to the content you still have with you. You know, even as teachers, how often do we have to go back every single year and relearn the material to teach it again? I'll tell you, as a history teacher, it's damn near every year. Yeah. Especially with econ- even economics is a great example. I taught this two years ago. I have forgotten most of it. And like, okay, so how are we operating on this idea that we're going to we're going to teach stuff and they're going to remember everything. Correct. You know, it's this I you just want to try to remember like, hey, guess what? You didn't remember everything. You're not you are not going to remember everything. So why do you think they are? Because they're not. And and the goal, right? I I always look back at the, what's the goal of when I have kids in my classes to help them learn. And how much learning is going to go on with this online platform that we're now in engaging and embarking on and i think it's trying to like you said you're going to have to be reflective and then i think you have to be creative and you're you're going to have to try to find ways with an isolated learner that may or may not have any parental support how are you going to support that learner to try to relate things and obviously technology is great for a lot of different things but then there's sometimes where how do you know they actually know, you know, how do they, how do you know they actually learned something? And when you do a formative assessment and you check in and they're still not getting it, it's going to be having that, you know, that time and that sit down with them, which now is a virtual sit down. And how does that look? Um, you know, we all, we all know that high school kids have a tough time talking to the teacher in general, whether it's fear, anxiety, or, but now how does that look when, Oh, I got to schedule a meet and just one screen and one screen. And, you know, am I going to be able to do that? So I think it, it definitely puts a lot of stress and anxiety. And I think one of the things I've seen a lot of educators that I think are, are sharp, smart people have talked about is just, again, how important the mental and emotional piece is going to be for students during this time. And, you know, there are some big questions that are hard to answer. You know, how do you take, you know, attendance? How do you take, um, grades during this time, um, when you have really, it's not equitable for everybody as far as their internet access, as far as um, the support they might have. Obviously, if you're a well-structured family with two parents and maybe one's home right now, um, and you have resources to help versus um, situations where maybe I'm home with my older sibling and we're fighting over a device or time and internet to slow and all these different things. So I think I think one of the biggest things that I've seen is just let's take a step back. Let's understand what's doable. Um, maybe let's lower expectations a little bit as far as what our rigor is in our classroom during uh, you know a normal in-class school session time. And lowering expectation doesn't mean we have to uh, you know change everything either. Right. And I would in preparation for this conversation, I was looking at some some information and some books that have been written on this topic of, you know, before COVID-19, there were already people saying that, you know, 
we already maybe have school like for too long as a, as a part of our day. Um, there was a book uh, written, it was called, I don't think I wrote that down. Crap. Uh, (laughs) it was about just how the case against education, that's what it was called. And it was, uh, this author took some social research and he was discovering that, you know, there's, there are parts of the day that, you know, time is just not being used efficiently, you know, and why do we even bother keeping that time as a part of our school day if every day kids aren't going to use it, you know? Um, and this online situation is going to look a lot more like that. You know, it's going to be these classes that used to be 90 minutes a day, five days a week, probably don't need to be that long. You know, they don't, they maybe need to have, you know, a, a few things to do, you know, over a week and a half long period. Yep. I think that's what the transformation, for, at least for me, that's what it looks like. And I was, and I was thinking if, if we really did want to transform, like if I was running a school, which I am not probably won't ever, but um, I think like it would be great if we had the opportunity to even like, wouldn't, what, wouldn't it be amazing if all of a sudden during this crisis time, we looked at just in general, the curriculum we were going to be pushing out during this distance learning. And maybe that doesn't, jive with what we've always done, you know, as a part of graduation requirements. And I'm sure there's some obviously issues with that, but like, what if instead of, you know, having kids read the same books from English class, like, okay, you're at home, read animal farm, or you are uh, here, here's a bunch of equations from chemistry to, to balance out, or here's a primary document to read from history. Like wh- what if we, got away from that because we might know that they're not going to really at the end of the day or end of the year or end of their life. That's not going to be something that, you know, they think about instead you focused on areas like areas that you focus on in coaching, you know, like things like visualization. I'm sure that's something you guys talk about as a, as, as a team, you know, thinking about where you want to be, who you want to be, and then, you know, getting to that point or focusing on areas like, gratitude and like even just saying that right now there's a part of me that says like that's woo woo yeah dude what are you talking about but in reality thinking about it like what really matters well i think that's a pretty (laughs) that's something that i think i would like most people that i live with in a country to have as a part of their life to realize like oh these people uh that are helping me through things or are they are doing things for me i should I should thank them. I should sit, go to their face and say, I appreciate you for doing that. Thank you so much. Like that's a, I think that's something we should, I want to have built in as a society, but that's not a part of the general curriculum or even just the idea of, you know, you said it before, like mastering, uh, I don't know if you said this before, but mastering your body, like how much of this time of our curriculum is going to be focused on, you know, maybe you do a workout now, I don't know how FIED, how they're doing things. Or in some schools, I know they're cutting certain areas of the curriculum to focus on the more important ones. Or maybe um, service to others, you know, or creating a new habit. Like it all seems woo-woo, and I'm sure it doesn't jive with the graduation requirements or whatever our legislators have 
demanded that we do. But, you know, there was a way of doing things before, uh, you know, the mass public education that exists in things like tribes, you know, in ancient civilizations that have a lot of weight to them. You know, they're like having someone serve as a true mentor to somebody that they can be open to ask questions to that maybe isn't their parent, you know, but those ideas I feel like are always looked upon as woo woo. And even like in this, in the building we work in, I'm sure some people would hear this and say like, Oh, that's dumb. Uh, Let's just do, let's do the book. Let's just do the content. Right. Yeah. I think a couple of things. Um, Dr. Brad Johnson, who's uh, a big fan, uh, or I'm a big fan. He's a big fan of us. All right. (laughs) Good to hear. Hey Brad. Maybe he is. Um, He's on Twitter. He's got a really good uh, Twitter profile and um, he's written a few books and he had a tweet the other day. It said, there's no state mandated, mandated testing. So our normal spring state testing now is it's been canceled. So he said, this doesn't mean we overload younger students to the point that they and or their parents are stressed out. It's not about outdoing others virtually. He said, relationships before rigor, grace before grades, patience before programs, and love before lessons. And I really like that because it always, you know, puts things in, into perspective about what's really important. And I think that's really what we're talking about here. You know, when I survey my parents for coaching at the beginning of the year and I ask them what they want for their child, um, there are obviously some of the, the things like whether it's minutes or playing time or starting or awards or whatever that might be. But more often than not, the things that come back, right, is I want my, my kid to work as hard as possible or I want them to develop new friendships or I want them to be a great teammate and show courage and be resilient and persevere. And right. And these are the character lessons that I think if you pull parents, right, this is what we want for our children. We want them to have skills and traits instilled in them, ingrained in them that they can then go and use in the quote unquote real world. And one of the things that I have done with our basketball program is there's four goals that we have for our mental health. Um, Number one is motivation. You know, we need to be motivated at something. And what, what we see in school, right, is a lot of kids just aren't motivated, right? Don't care about economics. I don't really care about my chemistry class. One of the things I do at the beginning of my chemistry class, because it's very similar, like I ask them to rank where chemistry is in their life. I stole that from you, I think, too. And, you know, for most kids, it's like the seventh, eighth, or ninth thing on their list, right? You know, Netflix, my friends, my GTA, my whatever, you know, is way ahead of that. And so what is their motivation and what keeps them from being motivated? And then number two is their confidence because we know if kids aren't confident that they're going to really struggle to be proactive to learn. Number three is focus. Uh, What prevents you from being focused? What are the distractions in your life? And then number four is very important for basketball, but it's also very important for life is letting go of mistakes. And that's where we talked about that mistake response because kids that can't let go of a mistake and are still clinging to a play that happened three plays ago, they got to come out of the game because they got to sit on the bench and reflect. And because we can't be thinking about something in the past when we're trying to play in the present. So motivation, confidence, focus, and letting go of mistakes. And during this time of our student lives, what's their motivation? Where's their confidence at? How focused are they? 
not being around all their friends, seniors in high school that have dreamt about their senior year, about prom, about um, graduation, about all the fun things in their spring sports and in speech and drama and activities, and they've just been robbed of all of that. And so I think it it's just trying to show some grace to our students. And, yeah, that assignment that has to be due Friday, um, maybe we try to connect with them in a different way. And I think that's really what good teaching is. I think that's what good parenting is. I think that's what good coaching is, is, is you're trying to connect and figure out where they're at on those things and try to harvest and develop and grow them. And ultimately, what we say in transformational coaches is we're trying to help kids become who they have the potential to be but can't without some support and guidance. Yeah, and it's uh, from a dad perspective, I just I wish there was a way to inject because, I, I mean, there's things we can, we can do during this time that are meaningful. You know, there are conversations we can have via, you know, video chat that matter. Like we can still have those relationships that we had in class. It's going to be a little maybe clunkier at first, but you can still do those things. Um, but as far as getting them motivated, you know, that's, I wish there was a shot of like, if you could, if, if there's one experience I would give to, anybody in high school or even anybody that doesn't like have a kid would be to just like experience life with children because then you all of a sudden realize like what, what was I doing with my time before this? You know, because you have this realization that, Oh my God, there's no time for anything outside of, you know, work, take care of child, sleep, you know, and I, uh, you don't realize, but the sad thing is, is you can't realize that until you have that happen to you. And then you look back at the years before that and you say, wow, look at all that wasted potential I had. <laughs> and I just left it. like the, all that time was just sitting there and I just left it sit there. I just wasted it. Um, and I don't know what the answer is to motivating high school students. I mean, I, I guess I'll be suggesting that my students follow the rock on Instagram <laughs> um, or Gary V or somebody that is just a figure that, you know, comes at you and shows you what a motivated life looks like. But I mean, if I was in high school in this time period, I think I, I would have a hard time, you know, wanting to log into my Google classroom and just see the mountain of work that laid before me, you know, I don't, no doubt. I mean, just as a listener, put yourself in that situation. If you're not a student, would you be looking forward to going on your computer all of a sudden? If you had, you know, let's say a kid has what, how many classes, four, maybe five. If they had, you know, let's say, so let's say each class gives four assignments a week. Uh, that's going to be 16 things that you got to do that week for topics that you've, ranked number 13 on your list, you know, it, I mean, I've, I've gone through online classes before, before this, when, when I was in college and those classes tended to be the most poorly, uh, what tended to 
areas of my academic life. You know, I just, I can, I just, from experience, I see what yeah. is going to happen. Yeah. And you know, other thing that's come out of this is, is I think it's probably more for elementary um, parents, but they, you've seen a lot of schedules posted by parents about how to break up the day. Right. So for example, I've seen, um, you know, at about eight, eight thirty, right. Let the kids sleep in a little bit more. We're going to do our math time or math and reading typically like eight to 10. Um, we're going to, you know, then maybe have some type of activity in there. And then we're going to do lunch. And in the afternoon, we're going to have things like chores. We're going to have things like, um, you know, get outside, go for a walk, um, maybe puzzling, maybe Legos, maybe whatever, drawing, artistic time, singing, music. And then we're going to get ready for dinner and, and, you know, have some type of evening activity. And you look at that schedule and for a lot of them, you know, it's really that two, three hours in the morning that is the actual educational time in the content. And, you know, the rest of the day is built around things that we know are critical for students. And that's the physical activity. That's the artistic drama side, singing, theater, um, playing an instrument, um, art that we know are critical for the development of our, especially our elementary students. And then... Um, you know, getting outside and maybe service activity, maybe writing a, a letter of thank you. Um, you know, I'm going to include some things like journaling and some journal prompts. And I still think it's important for kids to um, have their dreams and have their goals. And for the seniors, you know, what, what are the things maybe you can be a little reflective about who you are now and who you want to be going forward? Um, one of the things that comes up at a time like this is like Maslow's um, hierarchy of needs. And we know that that base level is the physiological, the air, food, shelter, water, all that stuff. Then safety, you know, feeling safe, having the resources. And then it's love and belonging, friendship, intimacy, um, sense of connection. And we know right now students are lacking in that big time. And then esteem, your respect for yourself, respect for others, your status, your strength. And then that top layer is that self-actualization where you, you desire to become the best person, the best version of yourself that you can be. And I think we've all seen that to a point where we've seen young people that get to a point where they have confidence, they feel connected, and they leave our high school and they're ready to go become the best version of themselves. And that to me right now is a challenge. And I think a lot of the seniors who came to my room on the day they could come pick up materials are just devastated. You know, they're they're realizing that their high school career might be over. We don't know where this is going to go. We don't know if school is ever going to get back in session. And that's hard when you have that fear going on. And I think it's really important as educators right now, we try to be that extra voice of support, let them know we're there, um, put them into groups and units or whatever it might be to help them strengthen that love and belonging and their esteem back up during this difficult time. And, you know, believe it or not, you know, those kids, our students do, they might never tell this to you, some probably would, but they probably miss a lot of their teachers. And I've seen a couple of, of teachers, at least on our staff, that have stepped up and they've done things like, you know, they're going to now create, uh, you know, a social media account just for, you know, an open account for their students. To maybe just give them your face or you doing something to kind of help them connect in some way with you again because they're missing that time and I, I had that same experience with 
a lot of those seniors coming in, most of them in tears, you know, that it was all done and they didn't know what to do and they they just didn't have any, what, any hope in their eye that everything would go back to normal. Um, and that's that's probably, yeah, one of the biggest challenges is, is trying to deal with that, that group of kids that would have been, you know, finally putting the finishing touches on their high school career and maybe realizing some important things about themselves or their life. But that's now, that's now not, that doesn't exist anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it's important, you know, seniors, if you're listening, you know, how much we, we feel for you, we empathize. And, but we also know, I think someone said it the other day, you know, this isn't, you know, this, this is a terrible situation that everybody's in. And for seniors, I think we're a little more empathetic, but it, it's also not, you know, a tragic, it's not like somebody died. It's not like, um, you know, a terrible, terrible situation. It's an unfortunate situation. It's disappointing, but just like anything, it's about how we respond to it. And we just encourage you to, to try to stay positive, connect with people, be grateful. Um, you know, I've told a lot of my students and players, you know, pitch in where you can, if you have an elderly person down the street, you know, try to go buy groceries or try to, um, do some yard work or take out the trash or whatever it could be. Um, that'll give you a little bit of that connection and, and service that it will help you. Um, yeah, one thing I, I want to add something to that is that I just, I was just reading about some of the, it was, a, I was reading a coach's, I have an app called, it's a good app. It's called 12 minutes and it takes books. Um, and it basically condenses them into a summary that can be read in 12 minutes. Um, and the, the book I was reading was by, uh, it was called the school of greatness by Lewis Howes. I don't know what he said. It says a, a performer or former professional football player. I don't, maybe he's famous. I don't know. Um, but one of the things he brought up in regards to like situations or he would call that adversity is that you have to, you know, go through the thought exercise of preparing yourself for adversity because things like this like this isn't the only time an unfortunate event is going to happen right like there are loved ones you have that will die you know at unexpected times and it's gonna knock you the hell out and the idea would be put yourself through the exercise of like what how are you going to respond to that tragedy you know and obviously we're we're into this current crisis so it's kind of hard to prepare yourself for that but this is a good lesson that hey there are going to be moments where you know you get blindsided and all of a sudden what you had assumed was going to happen for the last what 15 years of your life I don't know how long when you know when you're what graduation looks like but you assumed this this ceremony is going to happen you're going to have all these these moments like prom like this this, um, you know, your final baseball game or whatever. Final senior prank. <laughs> when that's all robbed from you, like, that should be an indicator that, hey, there are going to be other things in your life that are robbed from you, you know. Um, and if you put yourself in those situations, when they do happen, you have a path to follow, you know. Um, and I, I've, I've visualized some of the terrible, I've visualized terrible events that, could possibly happen because guess what? They've happened to other people, you know, 
losing a, a parent, a child, a spouse, like those things happen to people mm-hmm. every day, you know, especially even like right now during this COVID time, people are losing those members of their family. And if you don't, I know people have a hard time wanting to think about that, but if you do think about it, when it, when it, if, if it does happen, like, you know, there's a way forward. Otherwise, those events are going to come up and they are going to crush you. And sometimes people don't recover from them. Correct. And yeah, that ties in a lot to stoicism is, is preparing for those events, like you said, and having a plan. And that's that, um, that mistake response and going back to what we first started talking about is you have to, you, we always talk to our players about assume bad things are going to happen. Assume a ref's going to call a bad fall that isn't actually a fall. And how are you going to respond to it? Um, one of the Stoics' favorite phases is memento mori, which is the Latin for remember you must die. And right. as cryptic as that can sound to some people, um, the more I've studied successful people, um, the more I've come across that they all use the fact that they're going to die as one of their motivators. Um, Steve Jobs is probably one of the most famous ones when he um, – talked about when he had pancreatic cancer for the first time, and then he had gave his famous commencement speech at Stanford. It's one of the most watched YouTube videos out there if you haven't checked it out. Um, but he talks about the fact that knowing that I'm going to die was one of my biggest motivators every day when I got up, knowing that literally this could be the last day. And we, everyone talks about that, but like how many people actually live that way? Yeah, I mean, How many people live that with something that is that forward into their brain? And I do think it's important to have... Um, you know, you don't want to live it in a cautious way. You know, we talk about this in my biology class all the time. Ethically, you know, if you knew you knew you had a gene, a genetic disease that was going to kill you or cancer you knew was going to happen, would you want to know? And it's always a very interesting discussion with, with anybody. But um, would you want to know? I would, yeah. I would too. Yeah. Because that would give you that. Steve Jobs, uh, you know, mo- that Steve Jobs motivation of like, hey, this could be it, you know? And, you know, that's another topic for another day. But, I mean, death in general, right? I mean, if you're if you're scared of it, then it's it's something that you want to kind of push aside. And maybe those thoughts that you're talking about of, of bad things. But, um, you know, everything in life is about your, re- your response. And I think one of the biggest things that we can teach young people is how to respond to failure, mistakes, adversity, all those things. And as we're going through this, um, I think whether they like it or not, obviously no one likes it right now, but even the seniors will look back on this one day and it's going to make them into somebody that they couldn't be without it because that's what, that's what adversity does. Right. And getting through it, you realize, Hey, there's another side to this. Correct. So one of the final things I'll just, uh, as we wrap up here, um, kind of a parting shot that I think I wanted to get through is that um, as an educator, one of the things that I think has really helped me as a coach um, that I'm going to try a little bit more now with this distance learning is just during the season, one of the things we did was just have Google form check-ins that we did pretty consistently and it really usually only one or two questions. And I think for, for my students, I'm going to use something along the lines of just, you know, a question about if they're understanding the material and if there's any questions they have about what's going on there, but then also just like, is there anything going on in your life that's preventing you from focusing or being motivated or being confident? 
and just seeing what they'll respond. Because what I found is that my players were pretty honest um, about opening up there. And then that gives you an avenue to either have a conversation with them or it might give you an avenue to, hey, read this or watch this video or hear something that might inspire you a little bit. And I think that's something that um, players and, and students really enjoy is um, having in a targeted, more personal um, approach. And that, that might be a good tip for, for some of the educators out there. And I would encourage, I guess, my parting words would just be to echo what I said before, that, you know, what really, what really matters at the end of the day? You know, when you're doing this online learning or, you know, um, trying to connect with students, try to convey some of the important principles you would do every day in the classroom, but maybe don't do it as intentionally. Um, focus on doing that more intentionally, you know, developing um, good habits with your students or just having them be aware of what they should be or have them be aware of there are things that they could be thankful for or that thinking about what you want to be or how you want to be in the future, visualizing things, you know, is an important thing that is worth learning. So when you are designing your curriculums or your assignments, maybe have the guiding principle of does this help make my society better by doing this lesson instead of focusing on maybe specific content uh, regarding, you know, what the impact of the Taft-Hartley Act was. No one cares. <laughs> and there you have it. Episode three. Um, if you have any things you want to let us know, reach out via Instagram, via email. Um, the Instagram, once again, the crossover.podcast. Uh, the email, thec.o.podcast at gmail.com. Um, yeah, we'll be putting things out as uh, as we make our way through this COVID-19 time and after. Um, we'll see if we're doing this remotely uh, coming up here in the next couple of days. Yeah, and what you guys can do for us is thank you for listening, number one, and then rating and reviewing um, the podcast on uh, wherever you're listening, uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify, uh, would be very, very helpful in just trying to promote and, and, and grow our base of listeners. And uh, in the future here, we're trying to continue to um, touch on a variety of topics, get information out to you, and uh, look forward to having some guests on in the near future. Right on. And that, that app I mentioned, 12 Minutes, that might be a good way to you know, develop some reading habits or just adding new information to your brain in this time period. Um, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.